Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition where Mary Kay Cabot answers questions from our Football Insider subscribers. We talked a lot about Baker Mayfield. We talked about the defense, all sorts of stuff that our Football Insider subscribers wanted answers to. Now, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you've got to go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. You get a daily newsletter delivered right to your inbox. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. And that's where we pull the questions for this podcast. So again, cleveland.com slash Browns, blue banner at the top of the page to get all your information and to get signed up. All right, here we go. Our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. And here we go on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. Mary Kay, let's get right to it. As you would expect, our Football Insider subscribers really want to talk about Baker Mayfield. So there's a few angles here, and there were a number of people that wanted to ask about that shoulder. So we're just going to start here with Tom from Middlebury, Connecticut, who says, Hey, Mary Kay, I'm sure you'll be getting lots of Baker questions. Tom was right. His is whether you think there is more to this shoulder injury saying, quote, it's still attached. Isn't exactly saying it's not affecting him. What are you hearing about the shoulder? You know, I probably have to dig into it a little bit more, but I really don't think that 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 is the reason why he was off yesterday. I think that uh, I I don't know exactly what it was, but because it's his left shoulder, even if he's in some pain, I just really don't think that that's going to affect his. As some people think it might be, I don't know. And and maybe I just don't want to have their, uh, you know, to have it be that easy and to be making some kind of kind of an excuse for it, you know, but I'm, I'm just not feeling that. And, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. And like I said, I'll dig into it a little bit more and see what I can find out. But as of right now, I'm going to say, no, I think it was a bad game. I think it was a, a good quarterback who had a very bad game and could not get himself together for whatever reason. And, uh, and I, I think I'm just going to attribute it to that. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because we just don't know. We don't know the extent of the shoulder and like, I said this yesterday, he's not showing up on the injury report. So it's not something they are feeling compelled to put on the injury report that he's dealing with a shoulder injury. So, I I mean, just with that, even in mind, it's just hard to look at it and make too many excuses that the shoulder is causing a problem. What's interesting is if it is the shoulder, you, you maybe start to have that discussion about whether 
you know, quarterback is different than we're going to get to Jed Wills later, but quarterback is different than left tackle. You get to having that discussion of, does he need a week off? Does he need to, to get shut down for a stretch or something like that? But I'm kind of with you. If it's not showing up on the injury report, it's hard for me to look at it and say, yeah, it's definitely the shoulder. Yeah. And the other thing about that is I, I was wondering the very first week back, the first practice back after the shoulder popped out and he popped it back in, he wasn't even limited in that practice. I mean, he never showed up on the injury report. He was, you know, he was fine. And, uh, and so based on that and the way that he's looked in practice, like Kevin Stefanski said today, I just don't think that it could be that more so than anything. I think sometimes Baker gets almost a little too hyped up. He gets a little too much juice, a little too much adrenaline, and he can't bring himself down. He can't control himself. Uh, so, you know, maybe it was that I often wonder if sometimes if the footwork is off a little bit, because if your feet aren't going right, then the, the passes have a tendency to sail. Uh, that's something that we can ask Alex Van Pelt on Thursday, but, uh, you know, mechanically, you know, I've been trying to ask Kevin for the last two days, you know, is it something I asked him today again, was it the footwork? And he said, you know, he doesn't really think so. They don't think it's the shoulder, you know, it, it could just be, uh, you know, just a guy being off. It's like you go out on the golf course one day and you can hit the ball. And then the next day, you know, you're slicing it and it's not going where you want it to go. So I think it was just one of those days, but it was just so weird. It was just so weird that he couldn't, couldn't get it together. I mean, you had to almost wonder if Case Keenum would not have done a better job in that game. I think he would have had to, I mean, Baker, I've never seen Baker that off from start to finish in a football game. I don't remember it being that bad. And, and missing the deep throws, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of, I mean, you're not going to hit every deep throw. And I know Kevin kind of said something about those being lower percentage throws, but he missed guys that were open. I mean, he, there were two Odell plays and someone, uh, it was actually, I, I think it was Shannon, um, one of our football insider subscribers who sent in a question about Baker and he was at the game. And I know we have some other subscribers who were at the game too. And when you were there and you were seeing these plays, you know, Mary Kay, you, I'm, I'm sure you remember those two Odell Beckham throws, the one that hit a defender on the back of the helmet and, and yes. the other one that would have essentially iced the game. Those throws were there. And even yes. the Anthony, there was even a throw to Anthony Schwartz that might've been there, although that was a little lower percentage. Um, it, it just, they just didn't connect, but those two Odell throws at least were there. Yes. And you know what, of course, and I did ask Kevin Stefanski about this today too. It calls forth again, the big debate. Do Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. have issues together? Does Baker Mayfield play differently when Odell Beckham Jr. is on the field? Does it get inside of his head? Is there something to this? And the truth of the matter is, right at this very moment, we don't really know. We don't know the answer to that, and we're not going to know the answer for a few more weeks. And then the answer might change again when Jarvis comes back. Because when Jarvis and Odell are both on the field together, then, you know, then maybe Baker is going to be a little bit better with Odell. Maybe Odell, uh, maybe teams play them a little bit differently and maybe it opens things up a little bit more. But like you said, Odell was open. I mean, Kevin Stefanski has been taking blame or putting blame on his shoulders for not getting guys open enough. They were open. The throws weren't there. So he's taking the heat off of his quarterback right now. 
when he sort of needs, he knows that his quarterback might need to have the heat taken off of him. If you remember back to last year, it was the 38-7 loss in Pittsburgh. Baker had a bad game. It was a dog of a game. After that game, in the few days after that game, Alex Van Pelt came out and see, he said, the arrow is pointing up on Baker Mayfield. And by that time, I mean, I had written a column saying he's not playing. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oops, uh, you know, he's not playing like the franchise quarterback. He's got to like, he's got to get this turned around. Clock is running out on him. Um, and, and he did. He got it turned around in a hurry. The next week, as we all know, uh, it was that fateful Odell Beckham Jr. game uh, where he tore the ACL. But that was the game where Baker Mayfield uh, threw five touchdown passes against the Cincinnati Bengals and completed, I think, almost every one of his passes in the second half through the game winner to Donovan Peoples-Jones. And that game was a turning point because, truthfully, that game said to this front office that Baker Mayfield is our man. He is our guy. They saw it that day and they were like, oh, that's what we were looking for. And, and now we think it's just going to be a, an upward trajectory from here. And let's let's go. Um, and for the most part, it was that last year. But I think I had tried to, um, you know, be the, uh, you know, the vo- sometimes a little bit of the voice of reason throughout all that to try to say, okay, you know, they're playing the 28th ranked pass defense and the 27th pass ranked defense. And they're not playing Joey Bosa and they're not playing Chandler Jones and they're not facing uh, the best pass rushers in the NFL either. So, uh, you know, I I did think that enthusiasm needed to be tempered a little bit. Um, But having said that, I'm still very surprised at this moment that he has two touchdown passes through four games. Okay, so more Baker questions here. Uh, th- this one kind of goes down the Odell Beckham Jr. route. This is from Joel from Canton. Hey, Mary Kay, Baker was two for seven to Odell Beckham Jr. on Sunday, and usually uh, Joel would say that is that that's normal between those two because it seems Baker tries too, too hard to get the ball to OBJ. This week, he thinks it was just because Baker was so off in his accuracy. So Joel is, is basically saying, the issue here maybe isn't the same as we've always said it has been where the two aren't on the same page. He thinks it was just Baker being off. Is that a fair assessment or do you think there's still a disconnect there? You know what? I think, I still think this was Baker being really off in this game, but I I still also think there is something to be said for the two of them occasionally not being on the same page and not knowing each other well enough. And when when Baker talked yesterday about the missed third and five at the end of the game, right? The miscommunication between the two, he put it on himself for not describing in the huddle before that play to Odell, what to do if he got open, just, you know, that he would throw a stop or whatever the case may be. Um, But that's the situation where like he and Jarvis know each other well enough that in that situation, they kind of know what to do with each other. Odell and Baker have only played 25 games together. And oddly enough, of those 25 games, six of them have been with 20 yards, 29 yards or fewer of receiving yards for for Odell Beckham Jr. Almost one every four games. And that is insanity. Okay. That's just insanity. There is a little bit of a, a thing. I think there is a tiny bit of an issue between them in terms of just getting to know each other and communication. And here's an issue that I brought up a number of times with not only Odell Beckham Jr., 
but Austin Hooper. I think sometimes when you have spent four or five years with a quarterback and you get to know that quarterback really, really well, the way that Odell Beckham Jr. did with Eli Manning and the way that Austin Hooper did with Matt Ryan, you finish, finish each other's sentences out on the field. I mean, you just, you know what Baker's going to do in that situation on that third and five, you know what he's going to do, right? And vice versa. And I think there is a little something to be said for the fact that the little bit of chemistry problems between Baker and Odell and Baker and Austin Hooper have been a function of kind of the adjustment factor, teaching the old dog new tricks and, and really getting them on the same page together. I, I think there's something to it. Okay, another Baker question here. Like I said, there were a lot of them, and, and, and I'm not going to get to all of them. I just kind of filtered out a, a few here uh, to get to. This is uh, from Brian from Hilliard, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, is Baker Mayfield's issue possibly due to him not feeling secure due to the issues on the left side of the offensive line? Do we think it will get better when Jedrick Wills heals and the line is back to 100%? You know, I think there could be something to that. I mean, when you don't feel super confident that uh, that you are protected on your blind side like that, that could be a factor. That could absolutely be a factor. He didn't really have to worry about that too many times last year. Heading into week 14 last year, he had been sacked only. Do you know the answer to this, Dan? Heading, Heading into, into week, week 14 last yeah. year. With, um, two game, with two games left, how many times had he, had he been sacked? 20. Very close. It was 18. Oh. He had only been sacked 18 times all the way up until the second last game of the season. Right now, as we speak, he has been sacked 12 times already. Okay. And they're in week four. So he is on pace for 51 sacks. Last year, he was sacked 26 times. Uh, so 51, that would have him you know, probably right up there with, uh, you know, pretty close to number one in the NFL, if not number one in the NFL. So that's a disturbing trend. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Jed is not himself. Okay. Jed is hurt and they've been down to Blake Hans. They've been down to James Hudson yesterday. Chris Hubbard hasn't been in there. I think that Jed would have the opportunity to rest a little bit if Chris is ready to play Chris Hubbard. So and that could, that could happen this week. I mean, Jed underwent an MRI today. He's been carted off in each of the last two games. You don't want that to happen. The guy needs a couple weeks off, and they need to get it for him through Chris. Okay. So this gives us an opportunity to move into uh, some different topics here. And let's just go straight to, to, to Jed Will, since you were kind of giving us that update on him. Uh, Dan from Chattanooga says, hey, Mary Kay, I'm very worried about Jed Wills. Does the risk-reward of not letting him heal properly uh, pan out. And then also uh, from the 330 area code, just more on Jed Wills in general. Hey, Mary Kay, I really want to know if Wills is progressing as fast as the coaches expect him to. Uh, he hasn't exactly solidified the left tackle spot. I think these two are kind of hand in hand because I think just listening to Jed and it's easy to get caught up on this stuff in training camp. It seemed like he was poised to kind of take a big step this year and that ankle has sort of derailed it. Um, so, so I think that's part of it. But you know, how much is this hurting him that he's been starting these games, getting taken out, uh, hasn't finished a couple of them, um, missed snaps and others. Is that risk reward worth it? 
You know what? Again, I don't really think so. I think he probably should not have played these last couple of games. Uh, but I think they felt that 50 or 60% of Jed was better than 100% of Blake Hans or 100% of James Hudson with Chris out with the triceps. Um, now, having said that, Jed was starting to make a little bit of progress. And then last week, he got the ankle rolled up on again by Nick Chubb. In this past game, uh, there was probably another incident like that where there was a situation, like something happened, uh, you know, that it gave out on him. He twisted it. So- something happened for him. I mean, he came off very angry. He threw his helmet down. Uh, he was very frustrated and he had to be carted off. So something else happened. He had some kind of a setback and he's, he's getting frustrated with himself, with his play. I mean, he had a false start. He had a holding penalty and he's not able to be the Jed Wills that everybody expected him to be this season because of the ankle injury in a perfect world. I think he should rest for a little while. And I think they'll see the wisdom in that as well, uh, providing that, that Chris is ready to go. Yeah, it's a tough situation because you want him to tough it out. And, and we've talked about this. It seems like the Browns are really kind of pushing him to understand, like, you got to fight through these injuries. But he's been, he's been carted off twice now. And this last one yesterday just makes you think, like, maybe you've kind of reached a breaking point where you're, you're just going to have to figure it out, whether it's Blake Hans or James Hudson or hopefully at least Chris Hubbard. I mean, it's not going to be perfect over there, but. I mean, you're just going to have to figure it out. And that's not going to be easy. These next two games, you've got some guys who are going to be coming after Baker Mayfield. But you got four other really good offensive linemen. You got the best offensive line coach in football, probably, or one of them. You just might have to figure this out for a few weeks. Yeah. And, you know, Dan, as you well know, this is a coaching staff that values availability and that toughness. And like you said, they really are encouraging him to get out there. I mean, they, they, he was receiving high praise from everybody for gutting it out and, you know, and, and going out there and playing in pain and doing what you have to do. And there is sort of that warrior mentality, especially on the offensive line where you, you know, where you don't have to go sprinting down the field. Um, and if this is not a high ankle sprain, or at least it wasn't in the beginning, I don't know if he'll get a new diagnosis now that he's having another MRI. If it turns into a high ankle sprain, he's going to have to be out for three or four weeks. So that's something to keep an eye on. We don't know about that yet, but high ankle sprains are nothing to mess around with. You've got, uh, you know, you've got to really uh, let those heal or, or you're just, you're going to, you're never going to be yourself this whole entire season. So um, I think in a perfect world, they, they should let them sit down for a little bit. And uh, like you said, these are going to be some tough weeks coming up. I mean, you've got, uh, you've got Joey Bosa, you've got Chandler Jones, you've got JJ Watt. Uh, you're going to have some, some defenses that are going to try to take advantage of any weakness that you have along that offensive line. Okay. Here's a question about uh, Anthony Schwartz. And maybe this goes back to Baker a little bit. This guy calls himself the Pope from Fremont, California. Hey, Mary Kay, why is rookie Anthony Schwartz getting almost zero targets over the top? He's seen only one attempt to hit him deep for a big play the last couple of games. You would think with Beckham drawing so much safety attention, they'd want to take advantage and loosen up the defense using the rookies four, two, five speed. Schwartz did get uh, one deep ball thrown his way yesterday. I'm looking it up now. He has eight targets this season, three catches for 69 yards in these four games. 
Well, you know what? I'll tell you what that play uh, where, where Baker Mayfield against the uh, the Texans, where Baker Mayfield uh, was picked off on a pass intended for Anthony, and Anthony, you know, stopped and you know didn't make the attempt to try to to break it up or do whatever he could do. Um, that that was a setback for him. I think that showed the coaching staff that, you know, we're dialing you back a little bit. Like we need to like chill out here on too much too soon, which he had to have because Odell Beckham jr. Was out. Uh, but I think that, you know, I think they felt like, okay, we can't have situations like that. Again, Baker has to trust. And most of the time we hear Baker take blame for when things go wrong on a pass. A lot of times he will take that on himself. But that particular time, you'll remember, Dan, he didn't. I mean, he was pretty vocal and adamant about the fact that Anthony Schwartz needed to do some different things on that play and that he needs to be able to trust him. If Baker's saying that he doesn't trust that guy, then he needs to go back to the drawing board a little bit. And that's what's going on here. Uh, The other thing is, and I've said this many, many times before, and I'm a firm believer in it. If you miss most of training camp, especially if you're a rookie, you're going to be in catch-up mode for a long time. Just going to be, you know, even JOK is still sort of in catch-up mode uh, because he missed nine training camp practices. Um, Denzel, I thought Denzel got off to a slow start because he missed most of training camp. It's almost like it doesn't matter if you're a veteran or a rookie, it matters to be preparing for the season uh, in as high intensity of a way as you possibly can. So that's what's going on with Anthony Schwartz right now. Uh, he's, he's dialing it back to, you know, a rookie that's going to be learning on the job a little bit, and they're going to take it a little slower with him. So I'm looking it up here on PFF. He's still the highest um, average depth of target on the roster at 22.9. But again, it's only the, the eight targets. And, and again, I just think it's a reminder with, with a guy like Schwartz that speed is, is super intriguing. That's why you drafted him. But it takes time, like like you said, and and missing those missing that time in camp sets you back. And like, there's just there's more to playing receiver in the NFL than four two five speed. And he's got to sort of fine tune that stuff and learn that stuff. And the Browns will find spots where he can take advantage of it. But for him to be consistent, it, there there's a learning curve. He's got to learn to play receiver at this level. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If you if you're getting you know, 10, 12 routes in uh, you know in practice. And you're standing over there on the sidelines, not getting those per day. And there's, you know, how many practices uh, did he miss? You know, 20 practices or whatever it was. I mean, that's a lot of football. That's a lot of practice that you're not getting. That is a lot of timing that you're not building with your quarterback. Those are, are a lot of mistakes that you're not making in practice where your quarterback can say to you, hey, that's not what you were supposed to do on that route. That's not how we do it, right? I mean, remember how Baker Mayfield and Rashard Higgins developed their rhythm and timing together. It was when they were on the second team together in Baker's rookie year. They repped it over and over and over and over. And the fruits of that labor still pays off today between those two. They just know each other. They know where the, he knows where Rashard's going to be. And, you know, that means something. I don't care what anybody says. That is very meaningful. And I still think it, it also uh, is a factor in why Baker and Odell still don't really 100% have it together because they've never really practiced together that much. 
Okay, of course, the other big story yesterday was the defense, and we got a bunch of questions about the defense, so let's get through some of those. And let's start with this one from Abe in Huntington, West Virginia. Hey, Mary Kay, I want to ask a fun question. Of all the defensive performances on Sunday, which player's performance was the most promising or noteworthy to you and why? You know what? I'm going to go right off the top of my head with this one, and I'm going to say Greedy Williams because um, because Greedy – uh, first of all, I, I probably have a, a little bit of a bias towards Greedy <laughs> because I had an opportunity to do just a really nice one-on-one interview with him where he really opened up about how hard his year out of football was with the shoulder injury. And so ever since then, and knowing what he went through and how hard it all was, I just, I really pull for him. I pull for guys like Grant Delpit Pitt that, you know, just really have to go through heck to get back on the football field. Uh, so that's part of it. But the other part of it is, I mean, he really wanted last year to come back in his what was supposed to be his second year and improve upon his rookie year and show everybody that he can be a really good starting cornerback in this league. Well, of course, one thing led to another. He misses with the shoulder. They go out. They draft Greg Newsom. Before you know it, Grady Williams is getting eight snaps a game, and Greg Newsom is starting, okay, and playing pretty darn well. And the prospects for Greedy did not look all that great. But he kept his head down. He kept working. He kept helping to mentor Greg Newsom, who was taking his job. Didn't matter to Greedy. He did everything he could to get Greg Newsom ready to play. And when he had his moment, when he had his moment to step back in there, he came up with the play of the game defensively with that pick off of Kirk Cousins, who hadn't thrown a pick in 226 attempts, who had eight touchdowns and no interceptions this whole entire season. He doesn't throw interceptions. It was a great play by Greedy. I mean, that was a great play. I mean, that, that was a well-thrown ball, and, and Greedy really had to – that didn't just float into his arms. I mean, that was a contested interception. He had to go get that. Uh, so I think everybody was really happy for him, and, uh, and I just think it, it does bode well for the future because you know if Denzel you know, has a little bit of an injury or if Greg needs a little bit more time or something else happens, you know you can count on Greedy, and that's good for everybody. I am going to go with, uh, oh, here's kind of a, I don't know if this is a random one, but this is a guy who deserves a little praise. The old veteran, Malik Jackson, mm-hmm. give him a little love. He had a great game. And, and actually, he's been really good in the middle of that defensive line. So five pressures on Sunday, which was the third most on the team, uh, hit the quarterback once, four hurries, two batted passes, just had a really great game in the middle of that defense. He's sort of been the stalwart in there as they, they've, you know, it's him and Malik McDowell starting and they'll rotate some guys in through there, but it's really been Malik Jackson as, as the guy in the middle of that, that defensive line. I, I liked the idea of signing a veteran guy who's done it before, who's won a Super Bowl. You bring him in, you stick him in the middle of that line, see if he can create some pressure and he's done it so far. He really has. He, he's been really, really good. Uh, and he's, he's been good. As you mentioned, that was a terrific game by him. Those guys work well together in the, in the middle. And one of the reasons why I think it works so well is because you've got a guy that did not play football from 2016 at Michigan state until he started in Kansas city. And then you've got a 10th year pro in Malik Jackson next to him. And that's very meaningful in terms of the leadership, uh, and the sort of on field tips and coaching that he can give to, uh, Malik, Malik squared in the middle there. Um, and so it's just a good alliance between the two. And yes, you're exactly right. That was a really, really nice game by Malik Jackson. And he's been 
good for this football team. Okay, from the 513 area code, hey, Mary Kay, first, do you believe this performance is the real Browns defense, or do you still need to see them go against an experienced mobile quarterback? Well, you know, you know, there, there is a lot to be said for matchups and how you match up against certain teams and certain quarterbacks. So they do still have to prove that they, you know, that they can manage, you know, the Lamars and the Kylers that are going to be coming at them in the coming weeks. Um, but I, I think that I think we're starting to see what this defense can be all about. And I think it's only going to get better by the week uh, because, and I'm going to be writing something about this today. I mean, they've got a lot of really young guys playing on this defense for the first time. Even the ones that you forget that they're that young. Grant Delpit has only now played three football games, three NFL games in his career. So, um, so absolutely 100%. I think that the arrow is up on this defense. Uh, I think it was important to come out and show that the week before wasn't just about an overwhelmed rookie quarterback in Justin Fields. They needed to come out and do this against a, a good offense. I mean, this was a, number eight in the NFL in points with 29 per game, a quarterback that had been playing well, putting up 400 points I and mean, putting up 400 yards that the offense had been doing. Um, and I, I think, I think they showed something. I really do. I think they showed something. I think Kirk didn't have his best game either, but that had something to do with the defense. <laughs> yeah. That had a lot to do with that defensive line, just moving him all over the place. I mean, I mentioned those pressures, you know, just these are the pressures yesterday, according to PFF. Garrett had nine. Clowney had seven. Malik Jackson had five. Malik McDowell had four. Tack McKinley had three. Denzel Ward had two. I mean, this team was just coming after Kirk Cousins over mm -hmm. and over and over again. And that had to affect him. This is a really interesting stretch now for this defense. I think they proved yesterday that, that they're for real. I mean, that's a really good offense. Nobody's really been able to stop that offense, and the Browns did it. And so now we get to see him go against Justin Herbert next week, Kyler Murray the week after that, uh, November 7th. So, uh, you know, a few, a few weeks after they face Kyler, they've got to go against that Bengals offense, which I think is really talented. And, and we know that Joe Burrow is, is a really good quarterback. So, you know, really three of their next – like five games are against pretty good offensive football teams. And so, you know, it's, it's just every week is kind of prove it week for this defense. I think they've shown they can be a top tier defense in this league. And, and now they can really go out and send a message when they go against some of these offenses. Yeah. I'm very anxious to see how they do against uh, you know, against Kyler Murray for one. Uh, I think that's just going to be a, a very, very intriguing matchup. Uh, anxious to see what Justin Herbert's going to be able to do against them. Um, and they're going to be, they could be tired. This is a big game for them tonight on, on Monday night football, as we're taping this it's Monday. Uh, and we don't obviously know the outcome of it yet, but, um, but they're going to be on a short week and, and then they're going to have to try to hold off miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley. It's, it's going to be a tall order for, for that offense. Yeah, one of the sneaky parts of, of the Browns' schedule is they got some, some small little rest advantages, and, and this is going to be one of them when they, they face the Chargers on a short week. But, of course, the Browns have to go across the country uh, to play that game. It's a little easier going east to west, but it's still, it's still a little bit of an adjustment to have to go to the opposite coast to, to have to play a football game. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and who knows? You know, we don't know yet if they're going to go out early or, or how they're going to approach it. 
Um, but back-to-back road trips, you know, maybe that cancels out uh, the Chargers playing on Monday night football against the Raiders. Again, very big game. You know, maybe it's sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other that the Browns have to play on the road two weeks in a row and then go all the way out to the West Coast. So maybe that sort of levels the playing field a little bit. Okay, so more defensive questions here. Uh, Mavro from the 614 area code, do you think that this past performance of the defense is the best so far? And how much of it do you credit to Denzel Ward having his best game of the year? I thought that was huge. I, th- I, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with Denzel. And now I think I know. I think it was just a slow start after just missing most of camp. You know, it takes a while. Those were his preseason games once again. Um, so I think he was just not, um, not really himself in the first couple games. And you started to see the Denzel in this game that I thought we were going to see from week one, because I kind of thought that it was going to be sort of a pro bowl caliber season for him. He's worked so hard in the off season. He did get bigger, stronger, faster. And again, I see him working overtime on the sidelines on his ball skills and, you know, trying to, you know, see if he can grab some interceptions and things like that. Um, but he really showed up big. He played with confidence. He, he made plays, he blitzed, he got a half a sack. It, it was one of the better games I've, I've seen him play at all here. All right. Kevin from Loveland, Colorado. Hey, Mary Kay, is John Johnson, the third having less of an impact than you had expected? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, I asked him about that today because, uh, you know, over the past several weeks, his uh, PFF rating has been horrible. I don't know if he's still last right now, uh, but heading into the Vikings game, he was last in, in PFF rating on the team. I think he was either this week or last week. Uh, and it just really wasn't matching up with what I was seeing on the field. And so I asked him about that today, and he said it really did take him a while to kind of find his way in this, in this new defensive scheme because he said you know he's mostly playing you know the deep safety position now and he used to be all over the place so it's been an adjustment for him and and he completely 100 acknowledged that today and uh and i think you'll start to see him get better as the weeks go by yeah i think the other thing with john johnson too is like you know obviously you need him to perform on the field but just having him on the back end of that defense is so important and just having that stability on the back end of that defense is, is so important. So I, I think there's a lot of that too. I mean, he's really, you know, one of the guys who's kind of leading on that defense. And, you know, again, there, there's got to be on-field performance. He's making a lot of money. The Browns paid him a lot of money, but, you know, I, I think that'll come, but at least right now you're getting that leadership. He's out there every snap, that reliability and that leadership matters. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And once he, couples that with feeling super comfortable in this defense and his role in this defense, uh, then I think the lights will all come on for him and he'll put it together and you'll see more dominant performances from JJ three. I think you'll see some takeaways from him. I think he'll force some fumbles. I think he'll, I think you'll look up and you'll say, Oh, that was a big play. That's what we expected from him. I think those big plays are coming from him, especially in the realm of takeaways. All right, let's wrap it up with a schedule question here. This comes from Derek in Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
And Derek has been looking at the schedule and thinks a lot of the Browns' future opponents are overperforming a little bit right now. So he says, hey, Mary Kay, the only easy game he sees is versus the Lions in week 11, and the games between now and then all seem tough. Is he right in worrying that many of the teams the Browns face this season seem to be overperforming? So he's probably talking a little bit about uh, you know, the, the Broncos who had been playing well. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater got hurt yesterday. Uh, the Patriots, you know, Mac Jones looked all right on Sunday night football and in the rain against Tom Brady, uh, the Raiders who were recording this before they play the chargers, but they're, they're off to a great start. Even the Bengals are three and one, you know, there, there are some teams on this schedule that have been a little better than I think some people anticipated. The Cardinals are undefeated. Yeah, I think so too. And, and remember when, uh, you know, we looked at the strength of schedule, actually Warren Sharp's strength of schedule before the season. And he had the Browns with the, I think the third easiest schedule in the NFL based on projected win totals of your opponents. And so I, I would have to think that, that, you know, that they didn't have the uh, the Broncos winning as many games as they have been winning. Of course, they they lost to the Ravens, but Teddy Bridgewater left that game before halftime with a concussion. So, you know, that wasn't just like, oh, they had a clunker of a game. They lost their quarterback. Um, so they're playing well. As you mentioned, the Cardinals are undefeated. They're playing really well. So their projected win total is probably going, I mean, their win total is probably going to be higher than that projection. Um, again, the Bengals, I mean, who knows, but they're tied with the Cleveland Browns right now for first place in the AFC North, as well as the Ravens. So when you have three victories after four games, uh, you're doing pretty well there. I mean, we've said this many times on this podcast. I think we are all sort of from afar. Uh, we all admire Joe Burrow and, and the game that he brings to the table. I mean, he's really, really good. Uh, so yeah, I think there are some tough games now. The team that Dan has been telling us since <laughs> since uh, the summer, or no, actually since the spring, uh, that was going to be just horrible. And I kept not wanting to believe it because, you know, I've been around a long time and I have just, I keep seeing the Steelers rise from the, you know, places where you just don't think they're, they're going to be that good that year and they're good again. And so it's just always hard for me to imagine them not winning nine games, but they look bad. Ben looks bad. Ben looks, Ben looks bad. You know, I mean, almost to the point where you just don't know if he's going to make it through the season. Are they going to have to turn to Mason Rudolph? Yeah. I mean, they, they might need to, <laughs> that, that might, it might be getting to that point where they have to, to seriously consider it. I mean, you know what I can't understand is how did they go into the season thinking that that was going to work? <laughs> I mean, wasn't it painfully obvious that it wasn't going to work last year. You know, like, I mean, like the whole second half of last season, it was really obvious that this was not going in the right direction for him. I think that's, um, I think that's life when you just have a guy that's been your quarterback for a long time and he's won you a couple Super Bowls. Sometimes you just have to deal with that. I mean, unless you're Bill Belichick and, you know, we've, we've kind of seen how that has backfired on, on him with Tom. But, you know, you think about Ben this year. Drew Brees last year. Sometimes you have a quarterback. I, I mean, Browns fans should hope that the Browns have to deal with this with Baker Mayfield in 15 years. <laughs> you know, a quarterback that has been great for them and maybe won them a, a Super Bowl or two, hanging on a little bit too long. 
and sometimes that's just kind of the cost of it's the cost of having a, a great quarterback who's going to end up in the Hall of Fame sometimes. You know, and I, I agree with you 100%, but you cannot have that blind spot there. I mean, you have to know when it's the law of diminishing returns. They still have a really good defense for the most part. Okay, They've got a lot of uh, good defensive players. They've got really good receivers. Deontay Johnson is really good. Chase Claypool, he was injured yesterday, but he's good. Juju Smith is still good. Now they've got a running back. And what do they do? They bring back the guy that was so clearly, I mean, when he sat on that bench, after that wild card loss to the Cleveland Browns and he sat there with Marquise Pouncey and they were basically in tears, it was over. <laughs> like when it's over, let it be over, right? So, I mean, they absolutely 100% could have saved themselves and saved their, I mean, they could be right in the thick of it right now if they had gone out and gotten themselves a quarterback somehow. And there were quarterbacks to be had. You can find one somewhere. If you don't draft one, you can sign one, trade for one, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, they've, they've definitely neglected plan B. Even if they sort of felt like forced to bring Ben back, they, they definitely neglected plan B. And, and they don't really have a guy that they can turn to that, that they can count on. But, you know, we'll see. The Browns play them on October 31st. Uh, we'll, we'll see if Ben is still upright and, and playing in, in that game. And then they play him again on January 3rd, uh, the, the next to last game of the season on Monday night football, in fact. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll kind of see where everyone's at. And, you know, the other thing, too, is with, with this schedule stuff, everything changes, right? I mean, the Raiders, for example, the Browns play them in December. The last two years, they've kind of collapsed on the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, the Patriots, we'll kind of see where they are in a few weeks. The Bengals, we'll see kind of how this three and one holds up or if they start to come back a little bit. So, a lot can change between now and when the, the Browns have to play some of these teams this season, because there's so few games, relatively speaking, it's, it's easy to forget sometimes just how long this season actually is. Yes. And longer than any other season, right? That 17 getting to 17 is going to feel like, you know, a marathon <laughs> to try to get to uh, you know, to try to get to 17 this year. I think that, you know, that one more, it's like that last hour of a long trip feels like five hours. I think just getting to this 17th game is going to, is going to feel, make it feel or seem really long this year. Okay. Well then uh, with that in mind, we'll cut this podcast off now, Mary Kay. Uh, If you're not a football insider subscriber, make sure you head to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. And of course, make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.